thing she knew was the white face of her father as he tore apart a grease gun and globbed grease onto her slashes to stop the flowing blood. She was thirteen then and, scarred for life, was mad only that she would have to forfeit the entry money for her and her roan Jasper in the barrel race at the Groventre Rodeo the next week. Up from those hard-used hands, Alexandra Marie McCaskill, married name, Lexa Mudd, she knew that last name was not Travis's fault, but it hadn't helped, was what her parents' generation liked to term presentable, and she herself had always calculated out as no more than a C+. To start with the plus side, there was the family flag of the McCaskills, that hair, an enviable, royal, rich red mane on her sister, and a shading toward burnished copper in Lex's pageboy cut. Another McCaskill attribute, though, Lexa could have done with less of, the expansive upper lip, which must have come from generation after generation of ancestors' pursed expressions at their circumstances back in stony Scotland. The handsome gray eyes of that musing clan had not come down to her, only a faded sea color. Face a bit too square and unplained. Nose a bit saucy. It all added up to what she ruefully knew was a permanent kid-sister look, which had not been made any easier by growing up alongside someone who possessed the power to cloud men's minds. The pair of sisters weren't even in the same contest on figure. Mariah lanky and shouldery as the McCaskill men had been, while she was more sturdily consigned to their mother's side of the family, chesty and puckish. So far, Lexa had managed to stay a few judicious pounds away from Stocky, even though, to Mitch's constant wonderment, she ate whatever presented itself. Including now a contemplative tablespoonful of vegetable dip at eight in the morning. With the dip stowed on the bottom shelf of the crammed refrigerator, she consulted its door again. The thicket of cartoons, snapshots, and other clutter there that served as the almanac, calendar, account book, album and footnotes of life in this household. Here was a young, young Mitch, pictured as a college sophomore, grinning rather queasily amid the fallen cornices at the University of Washington after the 65 quake. And there his favorite shot of her on a rocky shore, copper hair against the salal, rubber boots and a yellow rain suit, her arms full of beach find. Next, tucked alongside a forest of grocery coupons, the latest postcard from Mariah on her Fuji Fellowship to wander the world for a year and do her photography. The Bay of Naples, this time. Shooting the ash outlines of the long gone in Pompeii today, Mariah's handwriting on the back, a slanting rain of ink. Scotland next for lighthouses, then home. Brit Airways Flight 99 on the 12th. See you at SeaTac, honeykins. Sibling love, M. McSee. Okay, Lexa told herself with a mix of pride and rue when those postcards came winging in from the storied corners of the world week after week. One McCaskill sister has it made. One to go. She arranged today's stuck-on chores down the door in the order she ought to get to them. Pick up smoked salmon and salad makings. Prepare the meatballs. Prepare the vegetable trays. Prepare Mitch, for that matter. Her regular pourer, Brad, who, like three-fourths of the males in Seattle, dreamed of making his living by playing music, rarely got gigs, but he had one tonight. So Mitch did not know it yet, but he was going to have to tend bar. From Lex's point of view, he was perfectly fitted to the job, since he didn't indulge in alcohol. 
but he never liked taking orders, even if it was only, white wine, please. And tonight's catering job was way over east of Lake Washington, in the land of software that he called Siberia, so that was not going to be popular with him either. It about blew her mind sometimes, the long arithmetic of chance that had delivered her here, to this, to life with him. Her father would have said she took the uphill way around. But a hilly day at a time, sometimes bumpy minute to minute, she and Mitch had been sorting out living together right from the morning when it occurred to both of them that her stay under this roof seemed to be more than temporary. They hadn't made it out of bed yet, skin still peeping at other skin before Mitch broached. This takes some getting used to, you know. Did she ever? Here she was under the sheets, more or less, with a guy big enough to eat hay, but who hung around with holy ghosts like Thoreau for a living. One minute Mitch was Mr. Love Handles of Steel, and the next he was a sponge for language. Lex's heart was, so to speak, still trying to catch its breath. What? She'd retorted, kidding but not. Getting laid without dating? That I can probably adjust to, he allowed, small, wry smile on his big face. I meant, more like playing house. Who's going to do the laundry? Mmm, I see what you mean. They eyed each other across the love-must bed covers. After a moment, Lexa said, How about, you do it for the first year, then it'll be my turn the next. A year? You've been doing it practically forever, haven't you? A year is shorter than forever last I knew. Can't argue with that. Weekend breakfasts? I'll do Saturdays. No, wait. Sundays, she hurriedly amended, and got from him the smile that said, Right guess. So, was it always going to be guesswork? She had to ask herself these days. People who get their news from Doonesbury... This Halloween refugee who was his grown daughter made fun of him. Mitch had to hope it was fun, as the pair of them put on blades. What happens when you and Lexa run out of refrigerator magnets? Boopsie will have a website by then, he said, trying to catch up as Jocelyn began to coast on her rollerblades. Around them, the horde on wheels kept thickening as more skaters pumped across the Embarcadero. In khaki slacks, rental black knee pads, and a messageless yellow T-shirt... Mitch felt next thing to naked. One or another of Jocelyn's hues, orange tank top, chartreuse leotards, knee pads painted a disturbing fleshy pink, flared in the corner of his vision as he and she rode their skates around clumps of waiting bladers. Not that he couldn't have kept track of her just by the way she jangled. Wherever Jocelyn got her fashion news from, it dictated a wristwatch with an industrial strength expansion band, deliberately too big so that it slid up and down her arm, and a bracelet made of what seemed to be links of an old tire chain to blockade the watch from flying off. Time clanking ominously, Mitch did not need to be reminded of. Whatever. Advertising was so, you know, not me. I'm jacked on marketing now. Jocelyn drawled her way back to where they had been in the conversation before he brought down on himself that accusation of hopeless dunes burial. All he'd done was confess he had never heard of Jocelyn's latest employer, something called Juice Up, then stepped in it deeper by asking if she had written any juicy ads lately. Juice Ups are freestanding health drink kiosks, she severely recited. They're kind of Starbucks out on the sidewalk, only citrus. Hey, really, you never tried one? Jocelyn, 
I don't want to seem anti-citrus or anything, but this marked her fourth fresh occupation that he knew of. Hers, the not-yet-molded face of a growing girl there behind the swaying bank of reddened hair that fell past her left ear to her collarbone, she nonetheless had turned twenty-five, the same age her parents had been when they tripped into marriage and produced her, and she already was a couple of careers ahead of Mitch and four ahead of her mother. Mitch wondered whether Jocelyn's generation kept some kind of family album of their jobs. Carefully matching Jocelyn's stride for stride, finding the side-to-side push-and-glide rhythm of the exercise laps he'd lately been taking on skates, Mitch one more time told himself to quit worrying. Hadn't he biked across Iowa? Kayaked Glacier Bay? As much of Mitch as there was, he needed to keep fit or watch himself inflate enough to leave the earth. So when he called Jocelyn about getting together before he flew home and she pleaded this weekly habit of skimming through the city, grooved San Franciscan that she was after a half year here, he had been able to say he did some rollerblading too. That'll work, she replied, which it had taken him a moment to decipher as an invitation to skate along with her. Or a challenge. Of the next many minutes of pushing and gliding, pumping and striding, Mitch later could summon only a blur as the skating swarm honed in on the Palace of Fine Arts, a hundred bladers at a time peeling into its rotunda and joining hands to form a whirling roller snake there beneath the odd, old, umber, orange squeezer of Caesar Dome. Then, centrifuged out to the columns around the rim of the rotunda, Mitch propped gratefully beside other bladers, catching their breath, before the final six miles through this lovely mischievous city, which from Lombard Street onward was, God help the beginning rollerblader, a labyrinth of hills. Ahead of Mitch and Jocelyn as they made the turn off Lombard, the little red...